Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the HR Car Tour podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dive. Thank you for joining me once more. If this is your first time following us, thank you, and you're welcome here anytime. Um, whatever whatever platform you're listening to this on, give it a, a follow. Click that subscribe or whatever it is that you can see um, and uh, and keep on coming back. We've got plenty to talk about. In fact, this is number th- – oh, I don't know what this is, but we're close to 30 episodes now. And um, there's no end in sight for things that we've got to talk about. And that tells us a whole lot about the government we've got in power at the moment with respect to employment relations. This is not, an empl- this is not a, uh, a political podcast. It's not supposed to be anyway, but we can't help but talk about it, of course, uh, with an IR minister like Tony Burke. Tony Burke, what a guy, hey? What a guy. What a minister. I've got a name for Tony Burke. If he was on a construction site or or something like that, in some sort of workplace, we'd call him Shania Twain. Why Shania? Well, because he doesn't impress me much. Old Tony Shania Burke. Um, let's talk about what he's been doing and what he's been up to. Granting wish lists for unions and Greens, political parties, um, and it's just making absolute uh, chaos for employers in this country. Let's talk about that. This latest closing loopholes uh, two bill, which got passed in the Senate uh, recently. Look, we don't know all, all the details yet. There's a few things in there that are just pointless, you know, um, and not worth talking about. It's a few things we'll talk about today, and and those will be the right to disconnect, which is the Greens thing. Um, there's more rights now that are being um, handed down for right of entry for union delegates, um, and making it very very easy for them just to walk into any business. Um, and yeah, make all sorts of allegations about pay disputes and have no no need to gain a permit to access that workplace. We'll talk about that because that's just bloody stupid. But um, and also the independent contractors, you know, the last the last couple of years has been really good for employers to use independent contractors in this country, but not anymore. Um, it's gone back to the old way, the, the old multifactorial tests. We don't know what that looks like just yet. There's no definition of employment that's being created just yet. Uh, and there's also the addition of a high income threshold, just like there is for the for employees who um, who are covered by the Fair Work Act. Uh, and there's a, there's a high um, you know, high income threshold, which means that if you're paid above that threshold, um, you're guaranteed that money that um, you don't have access to unfair dismissal provisions. So um, they're implementing a high income threshold for contractors. Uh, so another layer of complexity to get your head around. Um, and surprise, surprise, they, there's no detail with that yet, right? This is all still being made up as we go. Um, so that's a bit of a joke too. We'll, we'll jump on that. Um, but old Tony Shania, Shania Twain, what a guy. What a guy. Um, let's talk about this right to disconnect because th- there isn't a lot of um, – uh, you know, clarity around it. What I'm hearing uh, from a lot of employers when they catch wind that this right to disconnect law is now passed and um, it's it's coming into play and it's going to stop them from talking to their employees and that sort of thing. You know, it's not necessarily true. It's a bit of a toothless tiger, this rule. Um, it's stupid. It's really silly. It was added in at the very last minute by Tony Shania Twain. Um added right at the very last minute of negotiations. Well, not negotiations because they were always fake negotiations with the business community, but um, added into the bill at the last minute of voting on, uh, on the bill. Um, so there wasn't enough time to really flush it out and uh, and 
figure out what it all meant. Um, but good on the greens, you know. Another pointless, another pointless bloody rule. Um, <clears throat> now, the last time I heard a greens person talk about industrial relations was down in in Tassie in Hobart uh, in October last year at the Industrial Relations National Conference, the Alera Conference. And I spoke about this guy. I forget his name now. Not surprised. But uh, this this guy spoke about um, uh, climate change or something being introduced into industrial relations framework and employment contracts and modern awards and all that sort of stuff, and it just made no bloody sense. And here we are again now, the right to disconnect imposed by the Greens, um, approved by by the Labor government, by Shania Twain himself, and um, and uh, it's it's pointless again, another pointless rule. So let's, let's talk about it though. Hey? Let's just explore this right to disconnect a little bit. I'll do some reading and just hit some main points. So this new provision, the right to disconnect, um, this is going to introduce uh, a right that's going to be covering all employees, right? So we're not talking about um, inserting a term into a modern award or all or, or all modern awards um, or enterprise bargaining agreements and that sort of thing. Um, so I would imagine this is going to be uh, the mechanism that would bring this into place might be something like the National Employment Standards or, or maybe a, an amendment to the Fair Work Act. Um, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, right? That's one thing I want to say. I'm not a lawyer. I don't practice law. I don't keep up with with um, with law and case law and rulings like a lawyer would and should because I'm not one, right? But, we, but we're going to talk about it anyway. We'll figure that bit out. Um, but this rule, this right to disconnect rule, is going to be um, covering all people who work for employers in the country. Um, it's subject to some qualifications, but... Um, Right now, no one really knows, you know, what, uh, how it's exactly it's going to work. Um, there, there is going to be a reasonable refusal uh, rule in there, which we'll explore. But what what it basically means, though, is that um, look, this rule doesn't mean that employers aren't allowed to send emails or make phone calls or text messages or whatever it is after hours. That's not what the rule is. Employers can do that, and they'll continue to be able to do that. What this seeks to do is to stop uh, employees suffering sort of adverse action, you know, terminations and disciplinary processes uh, if they don't respond to after-hours requests. And that failure to respond is unreasonable, right? That word reasonable, it appears a lot uh, in these these types of discussions and uh, it's frustrating because you just don't know. Um but in this case, so let's let's have a look at a bit a, a little bit further, shall we? For a uh, a refusal, an employee's refusal to respond to contact, uh, for that to be considered unreasonable, you've got to take a few things into account, and this is important to know because what what, what I what I want to run through after this will um, will tie us straight into this. Um, so number one, the extent to which the employee is remunerated. That's a very important thing, okay? And we'll talk about why that is next. Um, uh, so the extent to which the employee is remunerated to remain available for work or to perform work outside the employee's ordinary working hours. That's an important word there too, ordinary working hours. Ordinary hours has a, has a legal definition. It's a term. It's 38 ordinary hours per week, ordinary working hours. So does that mean... Um, you know, the employee's ordinary working hours are actually 12-hour days or does it mean 38 hours per week? 
but yeah, we'll flush all that out. Um, number two, the nature of the employee's role and the level of the employee's responsibility. So those two things get taken into consideration as well. Number three, the reason for the contact or attempted contact and how it is made. Um, number four, the level of disruption caused to the employee by the contact or attempted contact. And number five, and this is probably the only one that will kind of um, have any teeth or, or have any strength, uh, the employee's personal circumstances, including family or caring responsibilities. I think that last one is probably the only the only real um, point that an employee is going to have uh, that their refusal to respond to after hours contact was reasonable. In in all honesty, I think that's the only, the only time it's going to uh, it's it's going to um, to actually stand up for an employee, except for the remuneration part. Let's talk about that uh, next, right? We'll go a bit further with this uh, explanation of what this rule is first. Um, but uh, look. The, the, the other thing here is too, if there's a disagreement about what's reasonable and what's unreasonable, this is one good element of, of what we're looking at so far. That disagreement gets figured out at the workplace level. In my view, and this is how it's always been done, and in my view, I've got a pretty firm view on this, this shit we're talking about with when can I make a phone call to you, when, when can you respond, all that sort of stuff, this is just job design stuff, right? It's it's between the employee and the employer. And the employer has the right to model their organization and, and design their jobs the way they see fit according to their customer markets, what their demands are, what you know, what they pay their people, and what their people accept in terms of remuneration to take a job with that company. This is job design stuff. It's got no that there's no reason any government has to interfere in this type of arrangement in workplaces let alone every single workplace in the country. It's just, it's just such an overreach. So, um, you know, if you know where I stand on it, now, now you do. Pretty firm view, right? Um, but the, the, the dispute gets taken uh, up at the workplace level between the employee and the employer. Either party then, if that dispute doesn't get settled there, either party then can then put it into the Fair Work Commission. And um, that'll be a complete waste of, waste of time, in, in my view. Look, the, the the Fair Work Commission's recently been stacked with about thirteen new new commissioners, which are um, uh, you know basically just ex ex union people, um, ex union associated uh, lawyers and and delegates and and you know organisers and that sort of thing. So um, it's got a bit of a bit of a lucky dip. Which commissioner do you get? Um, who knows, right? Yeah, I'm not trying to say that commissioners don't have integrity and, and shouldn't have their positions. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, you know, it's it's pretty easy to, to, to um, when you consider the, the sort of things that Shania Twain, old Tony Burke, has written and request to the Fair Work Ombudsman and a booth, demanding and requesting that the Fair Work Ombudsman office not be impartial and create systems of tripartism which favour unions and, and, and the likes, um, and have that Fair Work Ombudsman office agree to do so uh, publicly too. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a, it's not a, a long board, a long bow to draw. Um, that the the Fair Work Commission will, will probably have the same sort of influences. Okay, um, that's just a statement. You know, not an accusation. Just a, just an, just an expectation on my part. Um, so look. What can you do to prepare? Well, before I jump on to some interesting numbers with salaries and remuneration and that sort of thing, what can you do to prepare? Well, I've had clients that 
um, one sticking out in my mind where um, this type of thing may cause an issue. And that client used uh, WhatsApp, the communication tool, WhatsApp, and had all their employees in WhatsApp. Um, and after hours, at night, all night, they're, yeah, they're, org- they're organizing the next day of work. Um, it's almost like these people were tradespeople. You know, they had no reason to be in an office um, doing planning. They were, they were out in utes, in vehicles, on sites, that that was their job, um, going site to site. Um, just by practice, this business just used to get on WhatsApp at night and organize the following day. Um, so um, that type of thing, if this rule was was really hard to comply with, that's that would stop. Right, that would have to stop because employees will start to weaponize that rule against you and say, no, leave me alone, call me at 7 a.m. We'll worry about it then. Um, but this is where we go back to what's reasonable, right? Let's talk about this remuneration level thing just for a second. Um, now, this rule, this right to disconnect, as I said before, it's going to stretch to all employees, not just people who are under modern awards or enterprise agreements or anything like that, all employees. So that means the min- the minimum wage applies too, right? So, um, you know, who's who's covered by just minimum wage though? Because you've got about 122 modern awards. They cover a lot of workers in Australia and enterprise agreements cover about 10% or so, I think it was the last check, uh, outside of the, the, the public sector. Um, you know, but you've got, you know, HR advisors, people like me, marketing, lawyers, accountants, um, some some IT people, some aren't, some are. Um, yeah, yeah, higher paid um, employees, most are, are non-award, um, you know, management personnel, uh, people performing higher, more technical capabilities and positions, which are in, in a lot of workplaces. You know, there's a whole range of people who aren't covered by modern awards or enterprise agreements, right? So they, they're covered by the Fair Work Act, the National Employment Standards and the minimum wage, the minimum wage provisions, which in Australia right now is $23.23 per hour, Right. If we're going to remunerate a non-award person, let's say a manager, what's a what you know, like a like you know, a significant manager, um, a HR advisor, an accountant, a you know, a, 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 you call it whatever you want to call it, right? Just whatever, whatever position you want to say, um, to remunerate that person legally for twenty-four hours a day will cost you about five hundred bucks a day, not a lot of money, okay. Uh, about 550, 560 bucks a day. Um, now, per week, 24 hours, seven hours per week, you're going to be paying about th- uh, 3,900 a week. For a year, that's an annual salary of about 200,000 bucks, right? So if you're paying $200,000 to a, uh, a person who's not covered by an award, now the high income threshold is 168,000 or something. So it's not far off that, right? But if you're paying a, a person um, you know, $200,000 a year, um, you've effectively remunerated that person for every single hour that they're alive in that year. So what right does that person have to say no to anything? Based on remuneration, no, no right at all, okay? Um, but that's unrealistic, okay? Let's take it back a bit. 168 hours in a week, people have to sleep and people have to eat. Let's knock 10 hours a day and put it towards that let alone family time and, and all that other stuff and hobbies and things like that. We're not even, even going to count that, right? But that's re- realistically, that is what people's lives are like. So let's say, let's knock 70 hours out of that week 
Um, so you've got real remuneratable hours of about 98 hours in a week, right? That's, um, you know, that's essentially buying you about, let's say it's about, uh, it's going to cost you about 2,300 bucks a week to remunerate someone um, uh, in enough money, right? Um, now let's say that's going to be, oh, what are we saying here? If we go to, we average that back to 38 hours per week, an all-inclusive hourly rate, which is what contracts are based upon, right? Um, 38 hour, hours a week, if you paid about 59 or 60 bucks an hour, then you're remunerating people enough to demand that they, they give you about 100 hours of their time each week. So that's, real, that's more realistic, right? That's, that's a salary of about $118,000. Now, the average Australian salary right now is $91,000 or thereabouts. So you're not far off the average Australian being already remunerated enough to demand their time, um, whether there's a right to disconnect or not. It's reasonable for the employer to demand they respond because the average salary is, is, is already almost high enough to take all their working um, remuneratable hours off their hands. Um, so I hope that makes sense. But let's say, for example, you can, you're paying that 118000 a year, right? That $118,000 a year level based on the minimum wage, that's buying you 19.6 hours a day. So if you're, if you're just paying someone $119,000, $118,000, um, that person has no right whatsoever to say no to anything. Um if they're an award-free employee, of course, depending on their role, which award uh, applies and that sort of thing, will we'll give you um, other rules and, and other minimums and things like that. Um, but I don't want to go too technical with that. But that's that. that the re the reason why I want to go through all those numbers is because of this next point: Australian employment contracts, Australian employers. When we create contracts, we rely on offsetting. And that means that if you pay anything above a minimum entitlement, that offsetting rule, that, that buffer that's above the minimum payable, we take that and we say, well, because you're getting that over and above, all loadings, all overtime, all penalties otherwise payable are not payable and they're offset by, by this buffer we're paying. And any claim you make that you should be paid that money will be offset by this buffer. Um, and the claims you can make in most cases – the claims that the employee can make won't be anywhere near the buffer amount when it when it accumulates. So there's no claim that can win. Australian employment contracts are designed to get around these right to disconnect. The clauses and the terms in those employment agreements already exist. This law is stupid. It's completely stupid. It will affect almost nobody. And it has no this 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 rule has no place uh, intervening and messing with job design, uh, which should be done at the workplace level. It's just a, a silly rule, right? Look, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about um, this independent contracting issue. Um, Shania Twain, Tony Burke, what's he done here? Let me look at uh, some some uh some independent contracting concerns that i've got so uh it's essentially um the the new laws that are being introduced um the government is saying well 
Um, if the High Court ruled back in, uh, when was it, 2022, February sometime, if the High Court ruled that essentially the contract is king, that if you've got an independent contracting agreement and the High Court said, well, the contract says you're a contractor, you entered the contract as a contractor, you're participating as a contractor, the contract covers the, the basics and the basis of the relationship, um, you are a contractor, end of story. That worked really well for the last almost two years, right? Um, the Labor government, the unions are not happy with that. They've torn that up and they're going back to the old way, which is a multifactorial test. And what they're saying is that they, they need to apply these tests to determine the real substance, um, the practical reality and the true nature of the relationship between the worker and the employer or the worker and the business. Now, um, what that means is that there's going to be a whole range of questions that now you need to ask. And how it used to be was, you know, the provision of equipment, um, who's, who's, uh, who's providing the, the tools of the trade, the provision of the equipment to do the job, who's setting the hours, who controls what time the work gets done and finished. Can it be um, contracted off? Can it be subcontracted? Um, does or um, does the the person, the contractor, are they being totally controlled by the by the business? Um, you know, who's got the burden of loss? Who has to do the insurance? Who has to do all these types of things? What are you claiming your tax? Are you entering a con a contracting agreement as a worker, as a contractor? running a contracting type of business, claiming all the contractor type of tax exemptions and, and uh, exceptions and the benefits of that, and then when it, when it suits you, going, no, hang on, I was an employer all, all along. So yeah, what's all those elements? What do they look like? Um, so we're now going to have to set up um, engagement relationships and contracts and agreements and terms and conditions um, trying to cover this whole variety of rules and sets of rules that are going to be rolled out. Um, why, why do this? Well, the government hates flexible working. They hate it. They hate gig workers. They hate the gig economy. They hate contractors. They hate casuals. They don't like it. And, well, the government probably doesn't care too much. It's the unions that control the government that hate all this sort of stuff. So that's why they've gone this way, right? It was really good for, for a couple of years there for employers. Um, and contractors as well. There's, there's this, there was no grey area, right? It was um, uh, the the sham contracting disputes would have went right down to almost zero, and um, you know, essentially businesses were able to operate with some sort of certainty and and a lack of fear around engaging contractors and being flexible with workforces. Um, not the case now. Now, what about the people that want to be contractors, right? Because rules like this will deter employers from engaging people as contractors that they absolutely will um look at the construction sector for example everyone wants to be a subby these days right they're not interested in being hounded and hassled by unions at the gates to be members and and have rules and stuff you know imposed and enforced upon them um they want to be able to pick and choose the types of jobs and contracts they want to do uh, they want to be able to pick and choose where they work when they work who they work for or don't work for um, which uh, job sites they want to be on or don't want to be on. You know, you've got union sites versus non-union sites. Union sites might pay you more as an employee, but if you're a contractor on a union site, you're going to get hassled and bullied and, and just pushed out of there unless you've got, you know, some sort of CFMEU agreement or something that they impose upon you. That's how construction works. 
right? It's 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 not it's not a made up, a, a false reality. You walk onto a construction site and see what it's like. The bullying is real. The coercion is real. The threats are real. You, you, the hassling does not stop. It does not end. Oh, I do not blame anyone for not wanting to go anywhere near a site like that for work. Why would you want to? Right? Yeah, that's a reality for that industry. Um, lots of people want to be a subby. This is going to stop businesses from engaging contractors. It absolutely is. So that's a problem, right? That's a real problem. Um, maybe the la- maybe the last thing to talk about. Look, casuals are are also wrapped up in that as well. New a new definition of casual employment is being rolled out, and also the the rights to become or elect to become permanent employees if you're a casual. Um, that's all being boosted as well. And I won't go into that because it, it, it's been argued till everyone's blue in the face. It's pointless. That's a pointless rule. It's already in place. The government's just gone and changed it for some reason. Who knows what? Old Shania Twain's up to, up to his old tricks again. Um, but he don't impress me much. Um, the last thing I think we should talk about is just the, the right of entry rules being relaxed for unions. So for those that don't know or haven't experienced it yet, a union delegate um, is able to gain a permit from the Fair Work Commission to walk onto your job site or into your workplace and um, demand all kinds of things. And if they do that, you have to give them a place they can sit. You have to notify the workforce they're going to be there and what time they can go and speak to the union. And if the union has a reason to do so, they can demand and request information, documents, pay slips, pay records, all that sort of stuff. And they can go through it and try and find problems and, and that sort of thing. A union can do that. Um, well, now they can do even more. What used to be the rule was that a union can do that for uh, for people that it represents the industrial interests of. What that means is they can represent their members in doing that sort of activity. Um, the new rules are going to be that union delegates can do that for potential members. That means absolutely anyone in the country, which means absolutely every workplace. Um, there's there's nothing off limits, right? Um, so if you haven't been exposed to this and you're an employer, you're about to. You're definitely going to get, get exposed to it at some point. Um, now, the right of entry, though, can now be uh, – well, it, it could already have been um, uh, worked around. Unions will make a lot of claims around workplace health and safety and say, well, a workplace is is unsafe. And they'll do that often because they don't want to get a right of entry permit and give notice to the company they're coming on board, uh, onto onto the workplace to to talk to them. Um, They can apply to the commission to get an exemption certificate if it's a workplace health and safety risk. Um, And they use that mechanism quite a bit, right? Um, Well, now there's a new one. You can also get an exemption certificate uh, if you just suspect an underpayment. An underpayment means that you don't comply with the modern award. And a modern award, like the construction industry modern award, or the um, I think it might be the um, the manufacturing award or some other one. Don't quote me on that. You know, there are thousands of words you've got to read to understand what time you can start people, what time you can finish people, what allowances are due, what days of the week which allowances get paid. Um, you know, construction sites, if you're at 10 levels or 20 levels or 40 levels, the allowances are different. Um, you know, there's all these rules you must comply with. It's so easy just to say, well, we suspect they're not complying. 
and there's another payment happening because you know our workers are on the 20th floor they're getting paid um uh, you know the, the wrong allowance for that level of floor and this and that you know they can say all kinds of things essentially what this means is that the union can now just say we think they're underpaying people and they're going to be allowed to walk into your business whether it's true or not and um unannounced and you've got nothing to do other than comply with what they want you to give them payroll records um you know all these types of things that that they can then go through and uh impose more questions upon you to get more explanations about how you're running your business and how you're paying people and how you're setting everything up not just for members but for potential members for everybody um this is a rule that's problematic for obvious reasons right um so you know these are just realities of what we're going to have to face now um these the the workplace and the legislation that governs the workplace in australia have changed drastically in the last 18 months two years there's more change coming it's going to keep on coming if this government stays in power it's going to there's going to be more rolling out um unions are getting more and more um energy and uh aggression with their approach uh, they're getting wins with the government uh, these wish lists are just getting ticked off and I'm so stunned that we've got here so quickly. Um, so who knows what the next 12 months, two years is going to hold. Um, I certainly don't. I didn't I didn't think we'd see a lot of these rules come through, but uh, the Senate kind of rolled over pretty quickly and pretty easily with it. So who knows what agreements they made behind closed doors to get those votes. Uh, we'll see, I guess, in the coming months and years. So look, that's uh, that's the update. That's that's your IR minister, Australia. That's who you voted for, right? Um, you know, what, what, what's the what's the impact of this? The government would tell you they want more jobs. They want to create more jobs. They want to give people more money. They want more security. Um, uh, but that hasn't happened. In fact, you know, I, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the numbers, but. Um, it's a significant number. It could be up as high as 100,000 less full-time jobs in Australia over the last couple of years. Um, don't quote me on that. I'll I'll cover that off in a future episode. I'll make sure I'm right about that. But there's ten. It's at least tens of thousands. I know that's for a fact. Full-time permanent jobs. There's at least tens of thousands less now than there was a couple of years ago. Um, I think that number is about as high as 100,000. Could be wrong. I might have just made that up, but I don't think I did. It's up there somewhere. So that's that's your minister, Shania Twain. Old Tony Shania Burke. I don't know what we're going to do, guys. I don't know what we're going to do. Anyway, let's try our best to keep ahead of it. Reach out. Um, we've got an email address, the HR Cartel Podcast at gmail.com. Send me an email. Let's talk about some things. Give me some things to talk about. Tell me your, your views, your opinions. If you send me some nasty stuff, I won't name and shame you. Don't worry about it. Um, I'll probably have a bit of a giggle to myself, but I'll share it with, with people on the podcast too. So, um, look, we, we've received no nasty things so far, but um, I'm sure there are people out there that disagree vehemently with what I'm saying. So, um, disagree. Let's have a conversation. Um, give me some some differing perspectives. We'll talk about it here on the podcast. If you want to um, share any of your own stories, 
then do so at that that email address, the HR Cartel Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll talk about it then. Until next time, keep it tight, workplace, and we'll talk soon.